Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. It's July 29th. If you are listening to this episode on the day it hits the wire, that means that Cannabis Conference is just 25 days away. And that also means that our registration rates are increasing at midnight. That's correct. As of July 29th, you've still got a chance to save yourself a cool $300 off the on-site registration price. And like I keep saying, we know you're going to be there. We're excited to see you. Save some cash and toss that in the discretionary spending account for your Las Vegas dispensary needs. This is going to be the biggest and best cannabis conference yet, our sixth annual event, with a depth and breadth to the industry education that you won't see anywhere else. Trust me, the behind-the-scenes planning is robust. And I want to shout out the entire cannabis group at GIE Media, as well as everyone who's participating in and attending Cannabis Conference this year. Let the good times roll. And speaking of industry leaders participating in the conference, on the show this week, we've got Kate Miller, co-founder and CEO of Mist Grass. Kate and her company are on a mission to help the world get good at weed. Inspired by her stint working at a dispensary in college and powered by a decade-long career in entertainment, where she led brand partnerships for Lorne Michaels' Broadway video, think SNL and Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Kate is dedicated to making cannabis accessible, rewriting the pervasive and shameful narrative around this plant, and building a community of conscious cannabis consumers. At Cannabis Conference 2022, Kate will be speaking on the panel, How to Become a National Cannabis Business. So please enjoy my conversation with Kate Miller. Good morning, Kate, and thank you so much for joining the show this week. Very glad to have a chance to talk with you about uh, the national cannabis business scene and how a business might grow into that sense of scale uh, across the the U.S. market or just a national cannabis market in general. Um, Before we get into some of those types of questions, I wanted to just sort of introduce you to our audience and ask, uh, maybe rewinding the clock a little bit, ask you (laughs) what brought you into the cannabis space? Yeah, appreciate appreciate your time and having me on. I've always had a pretty meaningful relationship with this plant. Early days, I grew up in New Jersey. I have an older brother, just a year older than me, who was arrested and expelled from high school for cannabis. So, kind of an earlier at an earlier age, I I probably understood the plant's history more than most at that age started diving in deep then on all things weed from, you know, the history of from the war on drugs to um, the science, or at least what at that time there was, there was accessible. Um, I moved out to Los Angeles from New Jersey to attend university out there, which is the first time personally, I lived in a state that had a medical program. So as someone who enjoyed this plant to consume it, I you know, was fascinated with the different form factors and, you know, the different, the access that I had to being able to choose different products. So dove in even deeper then, ultimately worked as a bud tender uh, in 2007, 2008. Industry looked a lot different then, but ultimately it was an experience that started to plant the seed for what Miss Grass would become a decade later. I bought the URL, missgrass.com. Um, and ultimately, you know, that experience and many experiences at that time really inspired the idea of Miss Grass, which was to create a brand and a platform that authentically represented how conscious consumers were integrating uh, cannabis into their life. 
um, to provide accessible education to equip consumers to be conscious consumers in this space. Um, and that mission, you know, granted, we didn't launch the brand in, in 10 years after I bought the URL, but that that mission remains uh, true then as it did when I purchased the URL. Yeah, you know, along the way, over the years there, what were some of the interactions you were having with customers that, A, kept you engaged with the work, but also prompted you to go down that road of eventually creating Miss Grass? So, you know, I didn't work in the cannabis industry from 2007, 2008 through when we launched Miss Grass 2018. Mm -hmm. I, I had a career in entertainment in between then, but from early days when I was a medical bud tender, I had so many experiences with people, particularly women who were coming into the dispensary that I worked at and, you know, were visibly uncomfortable to be there. Definitely wasn't a, a welcoming space, uh, particularly back then at that time. Um, and not only did they not feel like comfortable to be in inside of a dispensary, but they also really lacked education. They had zero idea where to start. I had so many people coming in and, and with, you know, describing their ailments, whether it was, I can't sleep. And I finally, you know, got the, the, the courage to walk inside this dispensary because so many people recommended cannabis to, I, you know, I suffer from, uh, you know, extreme stress, uh, a whole host of different ailments. Um, so that definitely inspired it. And then you know, upon me deciding it wasn't like the right time to pursue a full-time career in the cannabis space and working in the entertainment industry for over a decade before ultimately pursuing Miss Grass full-time, that experience also reinforced the belief that there really needs to be a platform as cannabis, as cannabis legalization continued to sweep the nation. Um, before we launched Miss Grass, California had just voted to go recreational. Um, and we ultimately launched the brand in January of 2018, the same month that California turned on the recreational program at that time. And still today, you know, there's very few brands that are, are focused on education. We have an online magazine. We have over 600 pieces of editorial content, many of which is education led. Um, and I, you know, I really felt that back then. And, and even today, there's very few brands that are authentically uh, representing the lifestyle that we live, um, particularly women who are the fastest growing demographic of cannabis consumers and, and frankly, the most underserved. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, uh, quite a few things have changed uh, over those last 10 to, I guess, now um, going on 15 years in the industry. Um, I guess on one hand, everything has changed, really. Uh, it's, a, it's a fast moving space. Um, when it comes to this idea of branding or brand development, what are some of the maybe high level ways that that's evolved over the years that you've seen? Oh, wow. It has evolved so much since, <laughs> you know, early days. Um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't really such a thing as a, a brand. And when I say that, I mean, in the, in the sense that, that a, a, in other consumer industries, we would speak about brand, like it not just being about branding, but it being about, you know, everything from like brand tenants to values to mission. Um, there may have been branding back then of like, and a lot of the branding that exists on cannabis, on cannabis brands back then really leaned into some of the, you know, stoner bros stereotypes that we know so well. 
Um, so I think that from the branding side, from the design side of the visual elements of a brand, that has evolved so much in the past uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, even to now there are, are, you know, beautiful branding on the shelves when you walk into dispensaries that you would want to bring home and, and not be ashamed to like leave out on your coffee table or whatnot. Um, so the branding and the visual elements of the brand has definitely evolved. Also from an educational perspective, brands are really championing, um, and pushing forward education as well as cannabis reform. Um, I didn't see that happening so, so much in early days. And now, you know, there really is accessible educational um, platforms um, available to consumers, which has evolved, uh, you know, the industry and, and really supported the growth of this industry. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of very compelling brands to, you know, sort of sink your teeth into as a consumer or even as a you know, a fellow participant in the industry on the business side. But I'm curious, on the flip side of that coin, what are a lot of businesses getting wrong about branding even today in, in 2022 in cannabis? Yeah. I mean, I think that in, in and of itself, when I speak to, to some folks, consumers, or in particular investors, and I speak a brand, I think a, a lot of people's mind goes to branding, like the visual elements of a brand. But brand is so much more than that. Like brand is this, it's a, it's a, it has way more substance than just like what the visual elements of the brand is. And that is an important factor. Don't get me wrong. And I think a lot of people too, a lot of brands can even lean in more on making sure that the villain, the visual elements of their brand support the story and inform consumers, especially, you know, you walk into some dispensaries and it's like the NASCAR of weed. It's like, there's just so much going on in there. It's, 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 um, you know, it, it could be helpful to leverage the visual elements of your brand to further get across what your brand stands for to further educate consumers. So that inside of a dispensary, when you don't have a brand rep standing right next to your product, a consumer understands when they're grabbing a fast times Miss Grass Mini exactly how that they will feel with that high. Um, but I do think, like going beyond even like the visual elements of a brand, I think a lot of brands stop there and they lack a bit of that substance. And for us, building our brand didn't actually start of like building the like visual elements of it it really started with our community like for the first three years of launching miss grass we didn't even launch with product we solely focus on how do we grow and scale a nationwide and even global community and own that community which sounds a, a little <laughs> possessive but more so in a way that like we wanted to make sure we had a relationship with our community so we knew exactly what they wanted we knew their purchasing behavior. We knew the top needs that they were trying to address when consuming cannabis um, and ultimately collecting that data to inform everything, including what our brand visual elements are, including our voice, our tone, and ultimately informed what products that we brought to market, uh, you know, three years into launching the brand. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of that, that sort of nationwide community building there, of course, at Cannabis Conference, uh, we'll be talking about that national scale. Um, and I'm curious, 
if this this idea of of national brand building in, in cannabis might differ from other industries. And of course, I'm thinking mainly about you know the state market fragmentation across the U.S. Yeah. Uh, how does that sort of frame the calculus here? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and it very much is you know a fragmented industry um, that, that we we all work in. But you know that being said, I think it's important, especially if you're it, playing on the brand side. For us, we have you know evergreen global brand elements, tone and voice, our mission, our values, um, things that like there are through lines. If you see across any brand touch point, whether you see that in a dispensary in Illinois, or you see that on our socials, or you see that on our website, or you see that on, you know, a billboard in Los Angeles, there will be through lines that from a visual perspective, from a tone and voice, um, that consumers, if you see anything, this grass will like resonate with. Um, but that being said, to your point, you know, everything that we do in market, there will be like localized approaches. I mean, down to, for instance, like the packaging, we're now sold in four different states, the THC um, products that we that we carry or that we produce um, and the packaging in all four of those states, you know, there are nuances from the compliance regulatory perspective of like, you know, the California warning symbols and, and things like that, that we need to evolve state by state. Um, but I do think that like, you know, at first it's like a top of the funnel. It first starts with like a global approach and then it goes down to in-market localized activations. Yeah. And, and certainly, uh, you know, the regulations can differ pretty wildly from one state to the next. Um, and I'm, but I'm curious about even like taste, let's say. So if you have an audience in, in California or Michigan, or pick two other states that you'd like to talk about. But if you have these audiences in two states, how different do they end up being in the cannabis space? Meaning, are you sort of creating different messaging or positioning products in different ways, or, or is it really all that different? It's a great question. I mean, given different markets have different maturity levels of the market, which, which you know, there are some like live rosin, for instance, that has definitely penetrated the California market, which is one of, if not the most mature markets in our country. But when you look at like, you know, Illinois, I saw maybe one product. I was just in, in the Chicago market last week and I saw maybe one brand having a live rosin product there. Um, so I think there's definitely nuances from a, uh, you know, where the maturity of the industry is on a state by state level um, that would impact your offering. For us, everything goes back to like our community because we focus so much on building and scaling a community before we launch product. We, before we bring a product to a specific market, we're really diving into our community base in said market, like in Illinois, for instance, before we launched there, we really started to like engage with our Illinois market asking them questions. We provided a quiz to them that they all responded to, which ultimately helped inform, okay, we're not going to come to the Illinois market with our full suite of what we have in California, which is infused and pre-rolls and flour and all the thing. We're going to start with our Miss Grass Minis, introduce the brand to that market. We know that our community base in Illinois doesn't get through a single one gram joint in one sitting. 
we know what they're looking for as it relates to the high that they're that they're desiring. Okay, our Miss Grass Minis fit this fit that need perfectly. Um, so for us, like we really use our 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 community and in particular like the segments of our community state by state to help inform uh, the products that we bring to that market. But there is definitely similarities, uh, you know, across across all of our states and all of our community, like community across all of our states. Um, but I think the biggest difference is, is the maturity of the market and what, you know, the access that they've had to certain products and form factors and, um, you know, different extraction methods and things like that. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. The live rosin is a great example of that. And, uh, you know, at the conference, we'll have a few sessions that actually get into that idea of interpreting sales data and and using that consumer feedback, just, just the way that you're saying to to inform those business decisions. Um, you know, another thing that's I'm sure going to be talked about quite a bit at the show is uh, the specter of federal legalization and, and some recent bills that have landed in Congress. And you know, there's plenty of reason to be very cautious about all that. But I'm curious, you know whether it's inevitable or not, or whether or not it brings along the possibility of interstate sales. Uh, how do you think about that? I mean, does that change a lot of the conversation here? If, if, if the federal legalization question opens up, does that change a lot of uh, national business and brand development? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think that what that will, will support, especially like speaking in a time that, you know, the cannabis stocks are unfortunately, you know, not, uh, you know, kind of at a low and uh, investment appetite in cannabis definitely doesn't feel how it did in 2019, for instance. Um, I think that as we approach federal legalization or, or when there's meaningful legislation that is passed, um, even before federal legalization, I do think that that will support, you know, more deal flow in our industry, which ultimately, you know, will support the growth of this industry as more capital is being poured into it. So I think that is definitely a good thing for us all. Um, you know, from a brand point of view, there's, you know, nas national legalization will de definitely support, uh, you know, not, not approaching the marketing and the branding and the compliance side on a state by state perspective. And it will definitely support streamlining a lot of things from the branding and, and the compliance point of view. Yeah, I, I wanted to maybe continue zooming out a little bit into the future, a little bit of conjecture here. But, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of big, very well-known brands, I suppose, in the space right now. Um, but, you know, we occasionally hear talk of things like the Budweiser of cannabis or, or whatever it may be. Um, certainly advertising and, and those advertising restrictions uh, play a role in, in in holding things back a little bit right now. But do you see uh, household names coming out of this industry? And, and you know, this is obviously just a, a bit of that mainstreaming of cannabis conversation, but do you see it becoming that ubiquitous in the U.S.? 100,000, 100,000 <laughs> yeah. um, percent. Ultimately, brands drive long-term value in any consumer industry. We may be an inning four, maybe five, if I want to be gracious of that in the cannabis industry, but it's happening. It is, you know, it is, it has changed today. What it feels like today is, is dramatically um, evolved from what it felt like 12 months ago, which has evolved from what it felt like 24 months ago. 
Um, so yes, no doubt brands ultimately drive long-term value. There will be household, uh, you know, cannabis brands that emerge from this space. Some I think are participating in it now. And I think that there will be new entrants that, that, uh, you know, will, will have longevity. Yeah, certainly exciting times. Um, and of course, uh, we're looking forward to Cannabis Conference just in general. It's always great to get together each each summer out in Las Vegas. Um, what are you hoping that attendees will take away from your session and, and bring back to their business? Great question. Uh, for us, I think it, it the value of community. Um, you know, we took a, a bit of a different approach than the majority of, of brands in the space who launch product and then turn their attention to building community around that product. For us, we really focus on owning and scaling a nationwide and even global community, creating that brand loyalty first, and then using like the data that we know about the, our community to ultimately back into what product we were creating for them. And I think that approach, which is, you know, it's not like something that we invented. If you look at other consumer industries, that is def you, there's definitely parallels um, with some incredible brands in other spaces. But, uh, you know, community is just so, so, so important. And without that and without that community and the brand loyalty, br your brand, I think, doesn't really carry much weight. So I hope that that comes across. Definitely. I think it'll be a great conversation. And uh, I know we're all looking forward to it here with the team and uh, very excited to, to see you out in Vegas and really just a, a few weeks from now. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks so much, Eric. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kate Miller of Miss Grass. I know I did. It was great talking with her about the evolution of brands and brand building and cannabis. I know we've had iterations of this conversation on Beyond the Show before. It's always one of the just very fascinating topics that I think anyone, even on the outside of the industry looking in, can understand and see how quickly it's developing. It's super exciting. And again, we're going to be expanding this conversation at Cannabis Conference 2022. So make sure you head over to CannabisConference.com today. Why not? If it's July 29th, where, where you are, where you're listening, that's the day this episode comes out. If you happen to catch us on July 29th, go check out CannabisConference.com. Make sure you just sign up. You know, like I said at the top of the episode, you're going to be there. We're very excited to see you. Save yourself some money on July 29th. Our regular pricing expires at midnight. If you're listening after the fact, if you're going through the Beyond the Show archives, pleased to have you here. Glad you're listening and following along. Still go to CannabisConference.com. Wherever you are in the time-space continuum, CannabisConference.com is going to be the spot to find out all the information about the show in 2022 and in years to come. So check that out. Sign up for the conference newsletter. We'll see you out in Vegas. We're very excited to have you there. And until then, we're going to keep going beyond the show with more interviews with speakers and folks from Cannabis Conference this year, next, beyond, into the future. We're very excited. We'll see you there.